This evening's Dharma talk is titled, The Vow. Is a donkey. The Vow. What are you going to say about that? The Vow. And the Vow is to be with all things. The third of the three pure precepts that we receive as uh, when we enter into, formally enter into the path, uh, the Soto Zen path. Soto Zen Buddhist path. We receive and begin to observe a vow to be with all things. The other way of saying that is to save all beings, put other beings before yourself. Practically impossible to do, in my experience. But returning to that, returning to that vow over and over and over again seems to be important. The idea of a donkey is just, I could have said it was a... So the idea that uh, is I am endeavoring to convey is it's like something that is moving. It's something you, you decide, you intend, and you're going to do that. But it's something that keeps keep falling off from or keeps slipping out from under you. And the idea is to just get back on, get back on, return to that. It's not something you can particularly maintain. It seems rather that it is something you return to, you intend to do that. You remember that vow and you intend to do that. And one of the ways that that shows up is how you're not doing that, how you're self-centered, how you're all about me and how I feel, what's going on with me, and how this shouldn't be happening or shouldn't be treated this way. I shouldn't be treating myself this way. Return to that vow. That's the vow, as it is said. I'm not the first one to say that. That is the vow that transcends karma. Does it? Does it do that? Karma is action, cause and effect. What the cause and effects that were uh, been rolling forth and bumping into each other that created your mother and father getting together to produce you in this particular mind stream, life stream, time stream, 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 stream. Here you are. Are you going along? Does it feel like you're going along in your life? Well, then use that. Use that going, you're going along. And if you have received this vow or considering that, you'll find that you can't really maintain that. It was about returning to that. It's like something that keeps running away from you. It's like something you intend, but it's not something that's yours particularly. And it will keep slipping out from under you until you become that vow. So you become, you could say, become that donkey or become that, that intention going forth. The idea of a donkey, it just kind of starts out that way. It's like, what is this? Is this just donkey even interested in having me ride him or her? So I'm usually, quite often, I'm talking about the same thing over and over. And I could give it, this talk could be called, uh, to repair a windshield wiper. And I could probably come up with some kind of idea around that because it's always about this. Once you enter this path, everything becomes this. Everything becomes a donkey. Everything becomes this. How are you going to do this? Tick, 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 tick. Life is happening and death comes without warning. And death can come immediately, three minutes from now. The way the world is going now, uh, as of late, it could, the whole thing could end. Go ahead. What is it to return? What is it to return to the vow if we're not trying to succeed at the vow? It's very similar. It's still watching 
that you're trying to succeed, watching that you're trying to do that. So it's about the, the attitude of the grasping mind. You get to see the whole thing that way. More, it's a good question. Um, when we're returning to the bow, is that like, are we trying to tighten up? Um, what's tightening up when we return to the bow? Just the intention. Because when we do that, we're not really sure that what that is, because we we might alternate between that and saying, well, I have to take care of myself. How do I how, how do I put others before myself? When I feel like to do that is to ignore what I need or or to try to show up as some kind of relative situation of getting somewhere, of being uh, altruistic, being generous, being uh, any kind of otherness that shows up that way. So rather than, rather than the mundane path of working on something and slowly accomplishing that, the vow seems to be very difficult. It's, it's difficult to even understand what it is. But something, you wouldn't be here. You're a fully ordained monk. What are you doing here? What is this about for you? What is the vow? You received the vow. What is it? It's a donkey. It's like something that's none of your business. But you've made it your business. You're going to make this your business. You're going to do this. And the idea there is it's odd. You know, you find yourself doing something that 20 years ago you thought you were on your way to becoming a, a tax accountant or an attorney, psychologist, or any number of things. But here you are living in a monastery in your situation and endeavoring through, through your practice, daily practice, of somewhere between, I would say, 20 and 30 hours of sitting meditation a week. Is that true? Most people, even people who are meditators, don't do that on a month. Is that you're doing better or you're not doing so good? No, it's all dependently risen. It's, there's no particular cause or blame or credit given to anything. That whole situation is dependently risen. That is very difficult to penetrate, to understand with the thinking process or the analytical, logical mind. Very difficult because it always looks like that caused this, this is happening and that caused it, or that has stopped happening and this is what stopped it. We're constantly absorbed in, magnetized by, and in the clutches of cause and effect, relative truth. And when we begin, even the vow has a, is a relative situation. We are going to do that. And so it's like riding a donkey. Seems perfect to me. Further question about that? Do true vowing? Yes. How do we return to the vow when we don't even want to try to put others before ourselves? You're wearing a rock shoe, aren't you? What's that rock shoe about? You have no idea at all? What was your original intention? When you, when you you first asked for that, it was not foisted upon you, was it? Were you, were you to live in this monastery? Or were you required to receive your guide? No. What is it, was it you saw other people doing it? I don't want to say, make a bunch of suggestions if you can say some kind, give me some kind of idea about what that's about for you personally, because it could be different for you. Seems like at one point I wanted to help others, but that. No, you don't? I don't know. It's, it doesn't feel like lately I oh. want to. Maybe you never have wanted to, and now you're just realizing that you have never wanted to do that. 
or you're realizing that what that involves is just way too much. Am I close to what's going on? Maybe. Mm -hmm. That's something for you to contemplate. And I'll say it right here uh, in front of the Sangha. You can always take that off and return it to your teacher. And the teacher will put that on a shelf somewhere and say, when you're ready, return to this vow. You can go through this again. You can see that vow again. I think one person in our community has done that, brought the Baraksu back, handed it to me. I no longer want you to be my teacher. I don't remember how they worded it. I received the Baraksu back. We put it away. They came back a while later and wanted to retake the vow, which we did. What that person has done since is a, that's their business. It's, it's so different with each person. You might hear that thing, but return to just about a donkey. How does that apply at all? Or you might say, I think that's exactly how this feels to me. Have you thought about returning to the law for the teacher? Why not? Doesn't seem like I can. Okay. Donkey has long legs, too high up in the air. You have a broken ankle. I follow what you're saying. I'm not mocking you. I'm just saying that there's something about this vow that transcends our lives. It was it started a long time ago. Transcends your personal life, and it just starts to take over. And eventually, your this is your whole life is about this, and it can feel empty, and it can feel painful because you. Just because of that vow, it just starts to take over. And I, I think, I feel that it's different with each person, how that shows up. Do we have to have a feeling of wanting to help others to be on the path or to receive precepts? You might need something like that to start with because anything else, anything less than that won't get you to the precepts. <clears throat> but there might be some kind of a feeling, some kind of idealism at, at, the, at the beginning, the leading edge of that might be more like wanting to be put others before yourself and be helped. But then when you actually start practicing, you might realize uh, what a swamp you have to wade, for, wade through in your own mind. You're so swamped by your own causes and conditions and passion, aggression, and ignorance, hope and fear jealousy, envy, and so on, that you, you can't get far enough away from that to actually look to see what you can do for someone else. That's possible. But that's why it's about the intention, not the maintenance. Maintaining the vow is more like ignorance. But returning to the vow. What is the intention if it's unclear what the intention is here, how do we return to an intention if it's unclear? So the way it is done, if you've already received it, then that's saying then you, you have stabilized yourself in a sense, just use that fancy word, you've stabilized yourself in the vow. You received a name, which is Junchu, which means? Pure appearance. Pure appearance. What's your private name? Maison. What? Maison. What's that mean? Luminous Mountain. How do you get a name like that? Who gave you that name? Yeah. Yeah, so that you could look to those names. Those names, those names are meaningful for each person. What that basically is saying to you that what you're looking for, you already are. You already are that. So perhaps what you think that's about and what that actually is, 
so much contrast there. This creates a lot of tension. Just be that situation. More? Pure appearance. What is what it what does purity mean? What does it mean that something is uncontaminated and is fundamentally pure and appears? Reflect on that. Other questions? Since we're in that area, question? Well, divine, um, I'm divine. I suspect it'd be a different direction. Um, right. Is a donkey in some way dependent origination? I can respond to that, but how is that looking to you? Seems, seems like it is. Um, how are you understanding dependent origination? Um, all the causes and conditions that result in us, we have to ride that. Yeah, I would say that would be the case. Might look like a donkey, might look like a, a lungta, might look like a drala, might look like a garuda, might look like a chicken but some kind of, using some kind of image for your particular intention to see your true nature, your particular intention to, to realize the truth that the Buddha is pointing at, the Buddha pointed at, and the lineage holders down through the centuries have been pointing at. So for us, to have even seen uh, seen the desire or, or made the intention, is that dependently arisen? Sure. So is returning dependently arisen? Yes. There's not anything that's independently arisen. So Odebowing, how then can we um, Transcend our karma by stopping, by not agreeing with it, not opposing it, and not ignoring it. This liberates the conscious consciousness. Just speak about it relatively. Don't hang on. Don't let go. Don't shut down. Passion, aggression, and ignorance is a simple way of saying it. How that is done with you in your karma and the whatever is haunting you. Uh, three hours away in the middle of the night that wakes you up, whatever you're concerned with, whatever particular element of your life is threatening you, getting in your way, causing problems, it's dependently risen. But we take it personal. We, we, we think this, if that was, this would stop, then I would do better. And in some situations, if you've been doing this for a while, you might find that the negativity that arising is arising in your mind stream no longer has an apparent cause, that it's just negativity. You've stopped personalizing the whole thing. That doesn't mean it hurts any less. It might hurt more. Sometimes when that happens to some people, that area starts to show up and instead of having a, a path or a, a, a be able to speak to somebody who understands the nature of this, who's spent some of their life maybe looking at this. Instead, we go to somebody who is trying to stop the symptom, medicate, <clears throat> put something on it, something to cover up that uh, what would, might be called, if there's no cause, then, then we need to call it something. So we call it depression or anxiety, or some kind of situation that's very, very negative. We can't find a reason, something to blame. So we put something into it, cover it up, deflate it, uh, tint it another color with whatever kinds of chemicals or activity. More? So then when we fall off that donkey, getting back on is, or returning is dependently arisen. How do we 
it's it will happen. It happens without effort. But there needs to be something that we conventionally call effort. But that's dependent on the reason also. Every train leaves the station. And if you're going in circles, you won't be able to get on. You won't be able to get on the donkey, so to speak. You won't be able to do that because you're, your mind is circular. You're not actually seeing what's, what it's in front of you. And if you've not received a vow, have never heard of the Buddha's Dharma, then just and we just go into some kind of just discussion or argument or disagreement or or philosophical speculation on the nature of things or the nature of reality or uh, particles, no particles. But if you're if you've stepped onto this path and you have begun to practice and you are observing the vow to be with all things to save all beings then for each person that will that will start to show up in the midst of this uh uh this uh, wilderness that is the mind stream and you begin to see uh, the incredible spaciousness of your mind and so i'm just using the donkey it could be almost anything be a tree limb I like donkeys. I don't know if you. Yes. Question from Francisco in Alberta, Canada. Francisco. How is one to face a bully? I mean, the bullies in the world. So that I understand the question, but that it's so very, very situational. It depends on if that's someone you're married to. If that's someone that's the head of the country you're in, um, or all the other, we could go down and we all could come up with ideas and names. Um, so I don't know how else to say this, but first face the bully in yourself. You might want to first do that. I'm not saying ignore that, what's happening in the world. I also say, look at that. Look at your family look look observe be with listen to listen to receive 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 what's happening it's very uncomfortable to do that especially the ones where we're totally helpless completely helpless about doing anything about our our mind our mind stream or our life stream or our karma or it may appear which doesn't look very good but first look here and see what's pushing and pulling here what's what's what is making demands in your mind stream? It's sometimes uh, referred to, or I've referred to it as a, as the, the the dictator or the oligarch in your own mind stream, the seventh consciousness. The first five are smell, sight, taste, touch, hearing. The sixth is thinking. Just the thinking, just the just the, the process of thinking that synchronizes so that. So that the centrality of consciousness that that uh, reaches out for something is the same. This motion is the same uh, centralized area of consciousness that touches, and that gets disturbed. You've got problems. It's just the six. It's just a synchronizer processing thoughts that come and go. They come. They come and they go. Coming from dependent origination, basically. And then the seventh consciousness, this is the Yogachara tradition, Yogachara form of talking about the nature of consciousness. There's eight of them. But the seventh one is the paranoid area of the mind, the, where the dictator is, where the demand for this. And, and the requirement for that living by some kind of a standard. Sometimes that standard is so strong that in order to maintain that standard, we will hurt other people, we will murder people, we'll control them, we'll abuse them. Sometimes called a bully. And they and they aren't created, it isn't created last week. Someone just didn't at nine years old start becoming a bully. They were a bully before they were born. How do I know that? I don't know. 
And you might want to change your way of knowing everything instead of looking for evidence for everything. Look at the fundamental nature of whatever is arising. Give your life a break. Receive. Don't produce anything unless you have to. If you have to produce it, then it's coming out of that aspect of dependent origination that has no centrality, that has no bully, that has no ownership, that has no authority, that has no, has no, has no. Sometimes experienced as emptiness. Traditional teaching in the Buddha's Dharma is shunyata, Sanskrit for empty, not not relatively empty and empty and full, but it's a, even the word emptiness in English doesn't express what shunyata em- expresses, which is uh, empty of other, empty of any else, anything else. It's about as close as you can come conceptually, unless you're Jeffrey Hopkins or Dan Lusthaus or someone else who endeavors to take something like that and break it down into 1,500 words. That's probably a conservative estimate. It's a good question. Look what, in the, in the world, world uh, scene, look what, we have a, a bully. I don't know how to tell you about this, everyone knows who, if he's not going to get his way, and am I being sarcastic? Yes. Then he's going to threaten to kill everyone. He just points to the nuclear weapons. Threatening, bullying. And I think his bluff should be called. Not by nuclear weapons, not that kind of insanity, but in some way where he doesn't get his way. But he also doesn't, uh, isn't back in the corner so far that he's, he pushes the end of the world button. It could be done. Might take a little bit of what I call CCC. Communication, in other words, listen. Cooperation, in other words, just do it. Look at the situation and uh, and try to include everyone in it. Everyone, including the bully. And collaboration. Once all of the first two happen, then the then the last one could actually work together. You could collaborate on, but not to go off into some kind of history that I don't know anything about. But if you look what, at what happened in Europe, the Second World War, and you look what happened in uh, the so-called policing action of the Korean War, which was uh, just made up because, well, bullies, to use your word, bullies. Same thing with the, the Vietnam situation. Same thing with, I mean, you could just haul the wars. Difficult area to look into because it's so painful. Personally painful for me, my uh, father was uh, killed in the Second World War when he was sick, when he was uh, 26. Yes. How do we work with um, that first sea of communication when um, both people aren't interested in communicating? So again, it's situational, but then work with yourself. Look at your own mind stream. Be responsible for your emotions and your thoughts rather than just go out and blame others who won't communicate or won't listen. You can, you can say 1,500 words on uh, describing anyone, any politician, uh, uh, any world leader. The description is the description, but it's not communication. It's just describing something or blaming something. So start with your own mind stream. It has to start with each individual. If you have an individual who has no mind training at all, no no clarity around who they are and what this being a living being even is, it's pretty chancy that things are gonna work out, especially within this world, with our weather situation, with the nuclear situation, 
with the with the insane reaction to the COVID, as if someone's taking your freedom away from you. There's only only one freedom. And that's been said way before I got here, and that's freedom from what you know. Because if you're chained up by your relative knowledge, then those chills are chains. You have to be free from that. Otherwise, you can't meet anything as it comes towards you, as it shows up out here, apparently out here, or apparently in here, in the mind stream. Freedom from that. That doesn't mean you don't know how to... Uh, Make a salad or hatch a hole in the roof. You're not not talking about the knowledge that you that shows up relatively, that shows up conditionally, that shows up every day. I think they said this in an old uh, comedy uh, comedy skit. I think it's called the Fire Sign Theater. I may be wrong. If any of you uh, people who are older than me, which there's got to be lots of people out there older than me. Uh, something called the Fire Sign Theater, quite funny, especially if you're a stone, it was really funny. And it was, uh, everything you know is wrong. I thought that was very insightful. If you don't see the humor in that, I probably won't be able to explain it to you. Was that the dog trying to get in? Mm -hmm. Huh? Same thing. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm thinking like in that situation of the crazy oligarch and wanting to work with that with communication. Um, could that communication include the fourth karma of destroy? Yes, it could. The first three, pacify, pacify, which is what happens in some areas and doesn't. Sometimes they, we jump right to destroying. But pacify, enrich, magnetize, and destroy. Enrich, uh, or magnetize, enrich, those can uh, flip different directions. Join in with the negativity that you're trying to work with so that you're actually part of that negativity. That doesn't mean join a gang, but get more deeply involved in, in that. Uh, enrich uh, might mean seeing the, the, the difficulties that's, that's there and, and using that very difficulty itself. Uh, a really, really common, may not be that helpful, but a, a good, a common example of that is to backburn, like if you have a forest fire coming this way, to burn ahead of it. So when it gets to that, burn that, some, a controlled area, burn that, put the fire out, and then the, the out-of-control fire, when it gets to that, it's, so it's a, you've just created a fire break. And I'm not a firefighter, but it's just something I heard about. So that kind of situation. So there's something about control that is coming out of awareness and out of, it's coming out of knowledge. But we're, we're the idea of being free from what you know is to not be locked down out of fear into certain kind of conditions that you insist on. This has to be this way, or this has to be that way. So there, there's an open dimension there where which anything that is showing up is free to appear without uh, causing us to lock down or fixate or control or go to war. Any questions on uh, whatever this is? Bowing. I can see one uh, there's in the in this uh, chat box, but I can't read it. Sorry. So if someone can read it, that would be good. If not, go to something else. Shoko bowing. Uh, Eric has a question. Eric bowing. Yes. Sakuda. A louder, can a, please. Can a selfish um, determination to 
see what's going on in our own crazy mind be a way to benefit others? Yeah. For, first of all, there is no self. So the selfishness is, is just is, is how you feel about you're spending a lot of time working on yourself and you're not particularly working on helping others in a way that's conventionally acceptable. So you might look to others like you're just being all self-centered, staring at the wall and not getting out and helping people in a, in a more extroverted way. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you can go to a mountaintop for the rest of your life and save all beings and observe that vow. Train your mind. The best thing you can do for everybody is to observe your own craziness and not enhance it, not go to war with it. Just be aware of it. Just be aware of that because you are, you are this, you are what you're looking at. Wonder Bowling, it's uh, um, in the chat box. It says, Eric Bowling, how can you be in two places at once when you are not anywhere at all? He's quoting something from Fire Sign Theater. He said that's from Firesign Theater. Yes. I can't make much use of that because I don't understand it. Is that the title of the album? Further questions? When you When you're buying. Um, didn't you fall off a, a donkey? I did. I couldn't get back on and he ran. What was anyway. what was the result of that falling off a donkey? Uh, I realized uh, what was going on around me. And in that case, that's a little bit different than what I'm talking about here, but it applies somewhat. I think that was in what year was it? 1960 something. 67. Yes. Was, was that a, what you might call a spiritual awakening? I don't know. I thought it was at the time. I, I thought it was pretty amazing because it wasn't high at the time. You know, usually you're in the 1960s, just about have to be using something, have any kind of awakening. Were you there then? You're not that old, are you? I wasn't where that donkey was, no. Oh. <laughs> What's your question? When you're bowing, is something experiential like that of use on the spiritual path? Um, it can be. When you're bowing, I think there's a word for it in Japanese called Kensho. Yes. And you've spoken about that on occasions. Was, was that a Kensho for you? Mm -hmm. So that was that was uh, that was about six years before I started meditating. Before I met my teacher. I think you also say not that's not something to cling to necessarily. Just it's it's like anything that occurs. If anything that occurs. Is going to go away. The very nature of appearance is disappearance, unless it's pure appearance. Anything that shows up, relatively shows up, can't last. So therefore, if you suddenly think you're enlightened, which I think I might have thought for half an hour or so, it will go away. It will fade because it's a relative situation and relative actual awakening is something you uncover, you uncover it. And you see that it's always been that way. It's always been the, the jewel in the lotus. It's always been the Buddha in the palm of your hand. It's always been the heart of the Buddha, always. This is whether someone blows up the world or not. You could say you've moved beyond, but not actually. You have actually never been separate from beyond. Have to realize it, and it can be extremely difficult. 
challenging, confusing, and without an incredible structure as the the Buddha's teaching of the, the, the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and the teachings, especially the provisional teachings that, that help us stabilize our relative crazy mind long enough so there's a possibility of realizing, as Nagarjuna said 2,000 years ago, <laughs> you, may, you may realize your true nature, my words not his, you may not. Simply put, I would say that you unlikely that you will uh, realize your true nature before you pass from this particular uh, lifetime uh, if you have no interest in it and if you're just are interested in material gain and, uh, and not getting rid of material gain. I'm just saying that train your mind at the same time you're making a living or making money or enjoying yourself or you don't have to necessarily move to a monastery. Yes. When you're bowing, was there some teaching that you realized from that experience? From falling off a dancing donkey. I think simply put, I, I realized that my mind was a structure that was controlling what I was perceiving. And that when I fell off that donkey, that structure that was that was had a containment that shall we call ego or self-centeredness or hope and fear broke or came apart and dissolved into everything. And all I saw was everything. So it was a powerful experience. It was a potential or insight into the fundamental nature of this situation. But since it was so experiential, it was not, it was not realized. It was insight. It was a flash of insight that had a little bit of duration, but it closed back down again because of the grasping mind. Instead of seeing it, and, and instead we start covering it up because of what? We want to keep it. We want to possess it. We want to own the territoriality, wants to own the wisdom or own the perception of, the, of that. This is why on occasion people get uh, addicted to lysergic acid diethylamide 25 because not not many do, but some people can who can stand stand the, the terror of that particular mind opening drug. Uh, kind of like that. It's like it's an entry into just a, a completely wild and crazy uh, situation where anything is possible, or the perception of anything is possible. I'm not wrong. Go go ahead. Take it all you want. Yes. When you're bowing. Can we have that experience without LSD? Uh, yes, but it won't be it won't be experiential. So in order for it to be an experience, you have to have an experiencer, and that's the situation when uh, that kind of a insight or that kind of a ken show. There's still someone there who's having the experience, and that identity is more important than than what happens in the experience because it's something else. It's other. And reality is empty of other. So if that realization is happening to someone who has no mind training, who's not seen the complete uh, uh, unreality of ego or narcissism or the self, the self-centeredness, the greediness of that aspect of consciousness, the warfare there and the, the, the wish to shut down and close things off, to stay in one's cocoon, But if you if you realize what that is, then you you are that you you don't merge with it. You see that you've never been separate from it. It's a realization, and so therefore, when that if that non-occurrence occurs, uh, it's a very ordinary. It might have a, a big uh, flash or a big contrast for a while, but the contrast goes away. You just see what this is, and you see that you're not separate from that which you're talking to. And you're not separate from that which is listening to you. Or to which you are listening to. Jessica Bowling. Go ahead, Jessica. I once heard you say uh -oh. something like, yeah, I know, um, that Kensho, Kensho isn't realization because we're treating absolute truth as though it's relative truth. 
in if you in fact said anything like that or that makes sense, what what exactly does that mean? How do we do that, bowing? I might have said I might have alluded to that as the idea that we might get a flash into our fundamental nature uh, of what that would show up, uh, but it would still be relative. And if you're not, it's like the the sky can't see itself. Uh, an, an eye cannot see itself. So it's that kind of a, a relative situation. So there's no otherness to it. So it can't see itself because it, it, it is what it is. It's not separate from anything. So it can't see something else. So it's not seeing anything. And it's, is that a conundrum? Yes, it is. The, the confluence, to use a fancy word, uh, the coming together of relative truth and absolute truth is totally baffling from the point of view of any kind of relative understanding. And it's completely clear from the point of view of wisdom, which is no point of view. There's no one who's wise. There's just wisdom. There's no identity there anymore. There may have been at some point, but no longer. So therefore, you can't challenge wisdom. Wisdom is not has no uh, agenda. Unless it's coming out of the bow to be with all things, to save all beings. People are suffering, and you would help them with their permission. But if you don't have permission, they get to keep suffering. Don't interfere with dependent origination based on your desire to be a good guy. A question from Thomas in Kentucky. Thomas. Any advice or experience with a racing mind ramping up and inducing panic? Sometimes when I'm too conscious of my thoughts, they run wild. I, you know, not, not knowing for sure what the whole picture uh, time with you and your practice, I would just say, uh, generally speaking, and, and in particular, I would say sit more or sitting because I don't think they're ramping up and uh, running wild is going to happen too much on the cushion, maybe some. Generally, it's just in post meditation or everyday life. This is how we how we train ourselves is to sit down and sharpen the blade of awareness. So when you get up off the cushion and go into your life, I've said this thousands of times, probably that you are seeing what's actually there rather than your projection about it that is uh, that is propelled by hope and fear, propelled by fear of something too foreign or or fear uh, of uh, uh, not getting something the way you want it or hope that something will be a lot more or a lot better than what it actually is. Sharpen that blade. It's not actually a blade and you're not actually sharpening. What you are doing is you're prioritizing. It's like prioritizing the sky uh, rather than the clouds that are in it. Like, oh, this is a really good cloud. Oh, we need better clouds. Let's all work together to get better clouds. Not going to work. That's like saying you're going to control weather. The fancy name for those people are called meteorologists. They don't have any say-so about anything. And most of the time, they're wrong. You ever notice that, how... Weather people are quite often not correct. And then they have a bunch of reasons why. What would be a reason that a, weather, a meteorologist would make a mistake? You guys didn't hear that, did you? Ethan, go ahead. So I'm, I'm thinking about you. I think you just said, if we, if we don't have permission to help someone who's suffering, they need to con they're just going to have to continue to suffer. Yeah, a little so, bit, a little bit of that. Yeah, go ahead. Suffering. I'll be suffering because I want to help. Is that, is that, then I, that's being with all things, being with their suffering, being with my suffering, about their suffering? You could say that. I don't know if it actually winds up in that kind of tight of a knot. But it's, but it is, it's, it's uh, your suffering, my suffering, we're all suffering. Some people are clamped down on it and some people are just freely, openly uh, receiving all of that difficulty. And some people are catching it on the nerve endings, the more obvious ones like this uh, incredibly sensitive uh, uh, situation we call sense of touch, sense of feeling, extremely, extremely sensitive. As we all know, a little needle in the arm is like, Painful. So what's to be done with that 
intention to help when I don't have permission. It's about, thank you. Thank you. It's about the intention. It's about the intention. The intention transcends this world, transcends karma. And that means that the intention is there. That way, when someone shows up in your mind stream, your life stream, your living room, uh, your backyard, your tennis court, uh, your workplace, your country, your city, your state, and someone shows up, turns to you and, and needs your help, you're ready to help them. The tension is the intention is already in place and it can function in any area. It can function the relative situation of uh, a broken arm and it can show, show up in the in things that are more uh, subtle, like just listening to someone, hearing what they have to say, even what they're saying may be not so agreeable or maybe confusing, but listening is so important. Receive, receive, rather than produce. And then if you really truly receive, then you can produce something like a, a, a tourniquet, for instance, uh, uh, but you see what that is. It's very obvious what that is. Relative truth. And we get hooked on right and wrong. I can fix it. I can't fix it. Or that obvious kind of situation. Until, and as it goes, moves away from the obvious thing like a broken arm into things like uh, what's happening in your bloodstream, what's happening in your heart, what's happening in your mind. It gets more and more rarefied. It's like going from a, a chunk of granite uh, up to, uh, as I've said before, into uh, in, uh, smoke coming from an incense stick. They're both phenomena, but one is they're functioning two very much different levels, different vibrations, different densities. And, and it keeps on going after the incense. Uh, beyond that, it keeps going and going right into the intermediate state or sometimes called the spirit realm. And it, does it go on from there? Yes, it goes on until there isn't anything. How do I know? I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing at it. So it sounds like then we're being asked to wait and live in that tension <laughs> until there's permission. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's it. Just wait. In other words, uh, you know, another word for wait uh, is uh, meditation. Sit down and wait. Mm. But you're not really waiting for something. You're just holding still and you're watching what keeps chattering away or what slows down. You watch it slow down. You watch it speed up. You watch it get dark. You watch it get light. You watch it come together. You watch it separate. You watch it twist up into knots. You, you watch it unravel itself and flow. Just observe, just observe, just observe. Train your mind. See it yourself. You don't have to be a Buddhist. Bowing. I have a follow-up question about what she just asked. So for some people who do not have mind training, yes. and they still can show up to to help, for example, in the war, people who left their country and come, um, went to Ukraine to fight for, for the other country. And for yes. people who like to train our mind, like us, you said we have the intention, and we know when we train our mind, when we could, when we could show up and put others before us. Is there any difference between us and the people who don't train their mind still have the intention to help others? Bowie? No, I think I think there's kindness and generosity and helpfulness and goodness and everything. It certainly is. But uh, the understanding of the way that actually works is not quite as sophisticated when it's just, I'm over here and I'm okay and I'll fix you or help you and you're over there and you're not doing so well. So that relative situation, uh, is it, it just functions that way. But the fundamental understanding goes much, much deeper than that. It transcends this world. That's why, it's, that's why this is called a spiritual path, not a mundane path of fixing shit. If you did that, you'd spend the rest of your life just mending everything is broken because things are broken everywhere. But what is happening in the mind stream is not broken. It's it's confused and it's spinning. But it doesn't need something to come in and repair it or fix it. That's a misunderstanding. Quite often that's the medical profession 
not only in the uh, a broken arm or uh, fixing a heart valve or something like that. Those are obvious things. You could say maybe not obvious to lay people, but you know, it's a mechanical, still kind of a mechanical dynamic that's happening. Whereas the further we go in that area, the more uh, the more complicated it gets. It doesn't stop just at that which we can see and manipulate. It's very uh, complicated. And so the way to enter that would be to stay with the intention rather than the result. If you're looking for results, we're right back on the mundane path of trying to prove things and make money or get ahead or get famous or be acknowledged for how helpful we are. Like, like uh, people that are in the military given medals, what else are you going to do? I mentioned my father earlier who was killed in World War II. He got two Purple Hearts, one for getting shot in the hand and the other for getting killed. And he ha has a bronze star. I'm not sure what the bronze star means. but So, but also is dead. And I'm not, I'm not alone. There's thousands, millions of people who have died. So in our situation here, when I, what I'm suggesting to what, there's 30, 39 people here and a little over a dozen here. Is it a dozen? There's five, six. What's well, not? Not quite a dozen. Well, uh, including me, it's a dozen. 17 on YouTube. Okay, 17 on YouTube. So not very, really not very many people. But I would say my my message is train your mind so that you don't go out, get up off your cushion, go out into the world and project your ideas onto situations that are much more involved and complicated than what's in front of you. They're not just your thoughts and ideas, uh, opinions and judgments and projections onto things. Don't don't live in a in in a, 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 a behind the walls of your mind. Actually, see that those walls are unreal and they are projections. So that if someone does need your help, uh, you'll see how to do that. See if you have permission. And if you have that, then you'll see whether you can or whether you can't. As I said, sometimes maybe all it, someone really needs is to have someone sit there with them. David Dowling. Go ahead, David. Is, you're talking about receiving permission. Is, is that always necessarily verbal permission, Bowing? Well, no, no, I mean, and I'm, I don't want to take that to extremes. I mean, if somebody is a, um, somebody's on a, say a, uh, uh, somebody's on a skateboard and is going down the sidewalk right in front of you and hits a, a something on the sidewalk and falls on their knees on cement, I mean, you would you don't say, do I have my permission? Do I have permission to help you? No, you go over and immediately they'll let you know right away. You know, okay, I've had enough. I don't need your help. Um, just like if someone was is knocked out, or someone is in a car wreck, you would you just look at the situation. You get permission situationally. You just help them. Of course, you would. You you would say if you needed to get into the intellection around that, you would say, "What if I was in this situation? Wouldn't I want help?" Yep, I probably would. So you would just help. I'm I'm speaking more of uh, areas where where someone is having difficulty with something and we have some kind of advice for them might want to uh, wait a while and see if see it because the advice where there's no one on the other end receiving it um it just creates more tension it's not not helpful even though you might walk away thinking well i tried to help but they wouldn't listen to me like you're always right about everything not you david i know you're fine a question from Udi in Connecticut. Udi in Connecticut. Even though it can't be relatively grasped, can using relative inquiries about the absolute be helpful in supporting our actual true recognition of what we are? Um, that's something that's, that's going on a lot, a lot of scholarship in that area. So to some extent, but it's very, uh, I'm biased in this area. I, I'm, and my, and that comes from seeing that this has to be seen, not just thought about, not just analyzed. And some of that, all that logic is valuable and helpful. We should do that too. But we should also spend some time 
uh, emphasizing the sky instead of just the shape of the clouds or the amount of lightning or the, just use that particular metaphor. The sky, the sky is not something. It's the space in which things show up, including uh, everything. Anything that shows up, shows up in space. The sky, what the sky is, is right in the room that you're in. It's a relative emptiness. Another question from uh, Francisco in Alberta. Yes. Given the reflection, the vow is a donkey. Would there be anything insightful in picturing this idea first from childlike wonder? I suppose it would be fine. I wouldn't want to stop you. The idea there being, I don't know what it means. It's like, I don't know what the vow is from the point of view of your situation or anyone's, but I know what it is here. It's something that is choiceless. It didn't start out that way. It didn't feel like it. But looking back on it, I realize it's choiceless. You don't make choices about it, nor did you, even though you might think you did. Or Moody. Um, there's a follow-up from Thomas in Kentucky. Thomas. Thomas Macaulay. In my personal life, I feel as if I'm giving myself to every moment deeply and trying to listen, but others seem only to be happy when I'm giving in to what they're saying. All, all I see is their protections. Is all I see their protections? I'm not sure what the last part is. I'm not sure what the question is. Do you see a question? I mean, is it worded in such a way that you're missing the question, or I am? Well, as the uh, existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre said uh, in a statement somewhere, hell, H-E-L-L, you know, hell is other people. So he kind of summed it all up. I would say other, otherness, other. There are no other people. Everyone you see is, you're not separate from them. Just looks like it. And it, it's pretty intense separation. It's so intense that it, that we have, that's why we have all these wars. So, because people don't look at what this, who they are, what this is. See what it is. So you don't get your identity or who you are, what this is from, from your society or your, uh, culture or your or your religion, including Buddhism, you get your identity from anything. You see what it is. You find out who you are. But no doubt, if you see who you are, you, you you'll have no doubts. You won't you won't need any proof. This doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to stop having any trouble or no longer have headaches. Or so as long as there's a relative uh, situation here that consciousness is. Uh, showing up in, there's still going to be a, a singularity called a human form. But as Dogen said in the 13th century, uh, drop off body and mind. He didn't. He doesn't say get rid of your body or get rid of your mind. He said he was talking about the fixation, the grasping at the body as being who I am and the mind as being uh, an aspect of my uh, identity that is uh, me. What happens there is those are my feelings, my thoughts territoriality happening there. And the way we drop that off is to look at the way we're clinging to the body as me and clinging to the mind as me and my stuff, my ideas, my fear, my terror, materialism, spiritual materialism, material materialism, psychological materialism. I thought you were raising your hand, but it was your foot. Okay, we can close. into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.
Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajna Paramita. Please come down out of the light and protect Sopakoji, Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with light. If you value the teachings of Sokozan, and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org